women do all the work of connection. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. What do you mean he's mine? With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. Three times I'm going to be sitting here down. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. My dumb wife thinks it's a bad idea. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Amy. And this is Margaret. And this week, we're talking about whether in-laws get a bad rap and dealing with them. In-laws. I feel like this is one of our most requested topics. <laughs> most of the responses were like, I'm so glad you're doing an episode on this. Yeah, they've been asking about it for a while. And I mean, honestly, one of the reasons we're reticent to do it is because we have in-laws and they listen to the program and we don't want them to feel like we're recording an episode about them. Yeah, my primary tip would be don't do a podcast episode about your relationship with people as a way to maintain a positive relationship with it's not going to go great. So we will be clear that we are not talking about our own in-laws yeah. because we love our in-laws and we have great relationships with them. Worked out pretty well for us. So we are not in-laws. If you're listening, we are not trying to send you secret coded messages about <laughs> our relationship. We are talking generally and about our listeners relationships with their in-laws. I uh, did some research on this because I always start from the point of view of like, why is this a thing? Like, is this a thing that relationships with in-laws are fraught? It seems like for a lot of us, it is judging by the people we heard from. Amy, it's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. I don't think we need to linger that long on. Is it a thing? I mean, every single joke sitcom i mean people recognize that this is a fraught relationship right yes yes so i wanted to look at sort of why is it a fraught relationship and you know what are the factors that come into play for them and for us by the way this goes two ways we can have sort of expectations and preconceived notions that are out of whack with reality that can also make things worse. And I think in the way that we sometimes view our own parents as children, literally, this is a developmental stage. Like you don't see them as separate from yourselves. Like it's always a shocking thing when you realize as an adult that like your parents have their own lives and feelings and we're not just put on the earth to feed you and take care of you. Yep. It's like seeing a teacher at the grocery store. It's like, wait, you eat? I thought you just <laughs> taught me. And I didn't realize there was anything else going on in your life. And I think one of the problems with in-laws is that it's very easy to see them as like, their only life is how they affect me and my children. They're fully free humans, as it turns out. How good are they as babysitters? Yeah, like, and, and how good are they at being exactly the thing I need in my busy life with my children? And as it turns out, there's a little more to them than that. Okay, so the thing about in-law relationships, and sometimes these studies make points that are very obvious, but there's still things to unpack in that. Like, the reason that in-law relationships are fraught, it's that they're the a relationship that we're forced to have, yep. right? They kind of come with the territory of being married. So they're not voluntary, these relationships. And they're also very close relationships. They don't have to, I don't necessarily mean that they're intimate relationships, but you are going to spend some time together. You are going to make some tough decisions together. You lock together. And just like a parent, not having a relationship with them is also a strong relationship. Yeah. You know, it's hard to find neutral with your parents and in-laws because if you choose to cut them out of your lives, that affects you. It's not like there's a neutral. That's right. That absence and that relationship you're choosing not to have is still a big part of your life. It's heavy still. Yeah. It's still something you're working on. So these are like relationships in our lives that are close by design, but we're not necessarily choosing for ourselves or investing in in the usual way. Like there are steps when that are along the way before somebody becomes friends, right? Before you and I become friends, we have coffee together, then we have coffee together again, then maybe we have dinner, the two of us with our spouses, and that was really fun. Then maybe we say, hey, we should go on vacation with the kids together. And along the way, as we spend time together, we're sort of checking the boxes that I want to spend more time with this person. And choosing to continue, which you don't get that choice. Yeah. And choosing to continue. Right. And also, you know, particularly for women, I think the way that we become friends is by letting others into our mess, right? We were just talking about that a couple of weeks ago, that intimacy happens in relationships when we show up as who we really are, when we express vulnerability. And these are all things that you're not going to do with your in-laws. 
And so just the usual way you build a strong, healthy, deep friendship are sort of by design not going to happen with these people. And so it makes it a little more complicated. I also think it's an area where we've talked about this with a lot of things that like roles have really changed. So like in the old days, it's like, Maybe you got set up with a person from your town. You had all the same values. You had all the same friends. Like there was a lot of stuff that and gender roles were very traditional. The man worked, the lady stayed at home. Like, and as we've moved away from like those small villages with expected norms, marriage has become more complicated and in-law relationships have become much more complicated because it used to be like at 18, you like moved into your mother-in-law's house and she showed you how to be a mom. Like that doesn't exist anymore. And I'm sure it was fraught back then too, but I just think that the wide diversity of people that are coming together in these relationships has made it even more difficult. Yes, because there's still your favorite thing. The biological imperative still comes into play in this relationship. So I got some studies for you. Please. So there was a study that was done in 2011 to see what a person values in a spouse versus what their parents valued in their children's spouses or partners. Okay. Surprise, it's totally different. It's totally different. It reminds me the comedy bit we did back in the episode about like the things you should look for in a boyfriend versus the things you look for in your spouse, right? Like your romantic ideals and your lifetime relationship ideals don't line up. So start looking for the good mechanic instead of the good dancer. Right, right. Interesting. Similarly, right? So we value, this study found that while we value traits like (laughs) being hot or having a good sense of humor or being exciting or, you know, riding a motorcycle or I don't know, the things that we like in a person that makes our hearts pitter-patter are sometimes the things that make our parents go... (gasps) Because they, well, I'll start with the biological one, right? We see somebody that we think is good looking and we're like, well, I want to be with that person because I want to be with this good looking person. But a parent might, unconsciously this is, look at their daughter's boyfriend and be like, he's too good looking. He's nothing but trouble. Or their son's girlfriend and be like, she's nothing but trouble. And just frankly, like good looking does not appeal, hopefully, to your mother or father-in-law. Like that should not be a trait that they're interested in. Right. Well, of course not. Right. And I guess I always thought of it like, oh, well, you're threatened by her because she's pretty. No, it's this like deep evolutionary thing in us. Like women who are more attractive than their male partners in the animal world do tend to think more about leaving their relationship and flirt and more than unattractive ones. And it's the same thing for men, that men who are alphas are less invested in their offspring and, you know, get around. So that's hilarious. Who knew the caveman, right? So the cave woman and your mother-in-law is like, oh, is this person going to stay and will view you as threatening or not threatening based on these kind of things? So it's hilarious. Yeah, they're going to be a little threatened by you. And then, of course, the things that they want are the old fashioned things like you were saying, like your background, your similarity to their background. My husband's parents. So I will tell this story because it's funny. Like when my in-laws were getting married, their grandmothers. So this is these two mothers-in-law are long gone, right? But these two grandmothers didn't like the, the Italian Catholic was dating the Irish Catholic. There was, you know, a healthy dose of suspicion from the two grandmothers when these two teenagers started dating. They're like, what are you doing? going so far from the tree, right? We had the same thing in my family, and it was totally like West Side Story. <laughs> like, oh my God, you've gone mad. Yes. You're dating an Italian Catholic instead of an Irish Catholic. He belongs to St. Anne's, Ugh. and we go to St. Lucy's, and like, what are you doing? Those times, they don't mix. Well, is there anything more primal than like an outsider? Yes. You know, it's just a very primal thing that like the outsider invading the camp is trouble. And you are fundamentally, when joining someone else's family, an outsider to their tribe. And of course, primarily, they're like freaked out by it. My now husband and I had been dating for about four months, and I was going to meet his family at sort of Easter time. We were going out for brunch on Easter Sunday, I think. And I really stressed about what I was going to wear, kind of scrimped and saved, and bought myself a new sort of floral, like, you know, light blue, pretty dress, like curled my hair. I wanted to look very like corn fed and wholesome to meet this family. And even though most of the time I wore like 
black clothes and I wear pants mostly. You know, I just tried to look very, I don't know. Right. Like a wholesome girl from the prairie. Straight out of Oklahoma. Yeah. And I showed up and his mom and his two sisters were like wearing black and wearing pants and very fashionable and, you know, sterling silver jewelry. And like I had... You missed the mark. I had picked a totally wrong look, right, to meet them. And like it worked out. But I tried to predict what I thought they would liken me when I showed up and I still like, yeah, I picked the wrong outfit entirely. Our version of this, which is one of the most famous stories in our family, is that my mom, who was a very like accomplished like career woman, went to meet my dad's large Irish Catholic family and six siblings and, you know, just very big personality people. And she went and she was like, well, I work for this senator and I formed a version of the Peace Corps and I da 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 da. And she was kind of like, this is who I am. I'm going to impress you. And my dad's older sister, who became my mom's like best lifelong friend, but at the end of the meal, patted her on the shoulder and was like, you seem really nice, but I'm not going to lie. We were hoping for a listener. Like the idea is like that family didn't need another talker like and it was a joke, but it has become like whenever new people come into our family and they're like, so here's who I am. We're like, oh, we were kind of hoping for a listener <laughs> like our family's all set on talkers. Thanks. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. The other thing that can enter into this is that the stereotypes can affect us, I think. Like, so there was a study about this that cultural stereotypes can be internalized and shape how we perceive people. So in other words, if we have negative expectations of how our in-law relationship is going to go both ways, that can manifest in negative qualities. Well, and I think that will inform as we get into part two, like why certain things happen, like distance or over, you know, concern or over-involvement. And like, I think a lot of this is like miscommunication and that's really easy to have happen. And I also think that as this thing of like, we're no longer marrying within the village, we're all over the place. People also load a lot of like opinions before they meet people. And there's a study that's now become quite famous as the country gets more politically fractured in general, that whatever in the seventies having a son-in-law or a daughter-in-law, having your child marry someone who is politically aligned with your family was like people cared about that. Like 10% of people cared about that. And now it's like 92% of people care about that. Wow. And it's just a really interesting overall flip, I think, where we've kind of, everyone's got an opinion and everyone's on Twitter and everyone's got something to say. And there's this idea that there's this us and them. And like somehow the outsider not being like immediately trying to define how closely aligned the outsider is to your tribe has become very important. Wow. And fractured and fraught. That's interesting. And I feel like the traditional advice is stay away from that stuff. Like, don't talk about that stuff at Thanksgiving. But now it's almost part of the package. Like, you need to align with us in this very us or them way of thinking. That's a whole other thing to fight about. Yeah, I just think in general, us and them thinking is not conducive to helpful relationships with your in-laws. The last thing I wanted to talk about was why mothers-in-law in particular, why is it that they get a bad rap in particular, right? There's not such a stereotype about fathers-in-law. And is that relationship indeed more fraught? And I think the reasons are, so there are studies that show that you engage with a mother-in-law more as a couple, right? As parents, they have more contact with the kids. They're calling more often. They initiate the social gatherings still in most families traditionally I'm talking about. And so you have more contact. And we know this because on the podcast, we've talked a million times about invisible work and that women do all the work of connection. And so, of course, your mother-in-law in the don't shoot the messenger analogy is always the messenger, you know? Exactly. She's always the person to be like, can we come to the soccer game? Can we do this? And the father-in-law often is kind of like, I'll do whatever. I mean, maybe that'll change for our generation. But yeah, right now they're picking out the Christmas presents, all that kind of stuff. And shared gender between daughters-in-law and mothers-in-law may, studies show, heighten emotions. Do you think? <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, this is what I want to close the first part with. You've got sons. I've got sons. Imagine you're like at the park one day with your son and a woman walks up and she grabs your son and is like, I'll take it from here. I've got it. Thanks. Like, how do you feel? It's that short film Bao, B-A-O. Have you seen this film? It's a Pixar short. Yes. It's about this very thing. And it captures the feeling of the mother-in-law like, what do you mean he's mine? And I understand that more and more. Sure. As my kids get older, I have much more compassion for that. 
Yeah, like when you think of it that way, like someone coming and just grabbing your five-year-old and being like, I actually know how to do this better. Thanks. I'll take it from here. Like that is the emotion that the mother-in-law is having when she's at the wedding, basically. Mm-hmm. I get it. All right. So let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what some of you have experienced as the good and the bad of your in-laws. And the ugly. And the ugly. Beachbody On Demand is back as a sponsor this week. If you're like me, you discovered online fitness as a way to keep your sanity during these last couple of months. And with Beachbody On Demand, you get instant access to 1,300 different workouts you can stream anytime. I first learned about Beachbody, and you may have too, from P90X, which is an insanely effective workout, I will say. Fun and highly intense. But Beachbody also has yoga, bar, dance. There's a kids and family collection to get everybody moving. It's a huge, huge range of classes. And some of the classes get you results fast. By the time it would have taken you to drive to the gym, you did the 10-minute trainer, you're done. You can use Beachbody on your computer, tablet, phone, smart TV, anywhere you are. Listeners of the What Fresh Health podcast can try Beachbody for free. You can get a special free Beachbody trial membership when you text laughing to 30 30 30. You will get free full access to the entire Beachbody on demand platform. All the workouts, all the support, all the content, totally free by texting laughing to 30 30 30. Check it out. Amy, I have something I want to tell you about myself. Go ahead. Amy, I'm a huge reality TV fan. Really? The Bachelor, I love it. Home improvement shows? Yes, please. Oh, I can go there for sure. But when I want to know what really went down at the rose ceremony, like I need even more rose than just the rose ceremony. Yeah, yeah. That's when People TV's reality check comes in, Amy. It is the place to go for all the gossip on our favorite reality TV shows. So reality check comes out every Monday through Thursday at 4.30. If you're obsessed with The Masked Singer, if you want to know what's really going on for The Real Housewives... Reality Check is one-stop shopping. You get your top five headlines, and then you get interviews with all the drama. Too much drama for reality TV, which is hard to imagine, but that's what that's what you get. Very hard to come up with that. You can watch Reality Check on Twitter, on YouTube, on the People TV app, but here's where we want you to go to watch so they know what Fresh Hell sent you. It's peopletv.com slash reality hyphen check. There's a hyphen in there, people. You got to want it. That's peopletv.com slash reality hyphen check. Okay, Amy, we're back. Should we start with positives? I feel like we should start with positives. Yeah, let's ease in with some good stuff. We asked on our Facebook group, which you can find on Facebook at What Fresh Hellcast. Just come find our group because the conversations there are fantastic. And we asked people, how's it going with the in-laws? And let me tell you, we got a lot of responses. A lot of people have a lot of feelings about this. But I will say, Audra, Brea, Started us off. I'm one of the lucky ones. I love my in-laws. I have amazing in-laws. They raised seven kids and survived losing one. They take care of our kids full time where we work. Totally non-judgmental. God bless you, ladies. Lucky when you have the free babysitters. So we had a couple of people who were like, Anna also said, mom, mother-in-laws get a bad rap. Her secret, take their advice, warranted or unwarranted with a grain of salt, set and maintain healthy boundaries. You may not always agree, but your thing in common is your spouse, their child. Yep. And I think that probably these people had a lot of luck that they got good people as their in-laws. But I would also really throw out there that these people themselves were very open to having a good relationship. Yeah, I think problems can happen when your in-laws have a complicated or fraught relationship with their own child that they hope will be improved after they get married because you, the outsider in the relationship, are somehow going to provide the glue that didn't exist before. Right. And that can lead to some issues because, yeah, like if your partner has a really complicated relationship with his or her dad... You can offer an outsider's perspective, I suppose. Like you can kind of come in and say like, well, have you ever considered this? You bring in the outside point of view and that can be helpful. But if something's already broken, you're not going to be the, you know, super nanny to come in and fix it. Well, and Glennon Doyle, who is a great writer and you should read all of her stuff. She has a great thing about this. And I won't go into the whole metaphor that she uses, but basically... It's about Maya Angelou tells a story about like being at a house and there was a rug down and she thought she's like all these people weren't allowed to rock on the rug. And I started walking on the rug to show that like it's fine. We're good enough to walk on the rug. And after repeating the thing several times, 
she realized the rug was where they were going to eat. They were in Africa and they were going to serve the food on the rug. So they didn't want people's feet on it. Oh, my God. And she uses that as the metaphor for being a daughter-in-law. Like, it's very easy to come in and be like, the way you guys do stuff is crazy. The way you don't communicate is wrong. I'm going to come in here and fix it and show you guys what you've been doing wrong. And like, spoiler alert, you are not going to go into a family and redress 30 years of family stuff and make it right. It's not really your role. It's not really your business. I would just, you gotta kind of take it, play it as it lays. Like, you're not going to go back and be like, well, you mother-in-law were not attentive enough to my husband in third grade. And that's why he, I just, there's no happiness down that road, guys. Yeah. That way, madness lies. I agree. Oh, madness lies. And I think a lot of the positive mother-in-laws, and I want to read Tasha's because she said something really nice. She's got a mother-in-law who's almost 88 who's moving in with them. Wow. Her own mother is younger, and she was an only child of a single mom, and they have a very close relationship. And the mothers-in-law are moving close, and there's some anxiety about it. And she kind of goes through all the anxiety she's feeling. And in the end, she says, I'm figuring the time with them is precious for all of of us in all directions and I am anticipating that the good will outweigh the bad and I'm like go Tasha yeah what a good way to look at it you know a pretty good way to come in I listened to an episode of a podcast about in-laws which actually if you go on Spotify this is sort of a side wreck if you go on Spotify and look at their podcast in the app you can actually search by topic and listen to as many episodes on you know the New York Giants or whatever as you want to so the Naked Marriage podcast It's a Christian podcast, but I wanted to give this, even though this isn't a Christian podcast, I wanted to give this bit of advice from the episode. I'll put the link in the show notes because I thought it was really good that when you're going to have healthy boundaries with your in-laws, that if there are difficult conversations to be had, that the person whose parents it is needs to lead the conversation, not the in-law. Like if I have something I need to bring up with my father-in-law that's really upsetting me, my partner needs to at least be there, if not have the conversation himself. Yeah, I do think there's like a bit of quicksand here, which can become like you go tell your mom, you go tell your wife, you're right, like you don't really want it to be like, we're warring factions. And our husband is the messenger that goes back and forth. I think that's a pretty bad dynamic. Yeah. But I do think like, involving your spouse in dealing with your in-laws is a really good idea. I mean, it just gets fought because you sort of have two alliances, right? One to your parents who raised you and one to your partner. And the whole way like marriage works is like, okay, this partnership that I have, this is supposed to be primary now, but that's difficult. Anyway, what I thought this was good advice because what I've seen not work among, you know, people I know is to say like, well, you two just don't get along. And you know what? I'm going to stay out of it. And you two are just going to have to figure it out because you can't because the only reason you have a relationship is this person you have in common and this person you have in common. If there are boundaries that really need to be set, then that person needs to have the conversation. But you're right. If it comes down to like you didn't sign love Amy on your Mother's Day card. You just signed Amy and my feelings were hurt. Like, again, the person whose kid it is can be a little bit more of the conduit of over whether that's really worth having a family conversation about, I guess. And fundamentally, you don't want in-law problems to become marriage problems. Yeah. So you and your husband have to stay on the same page. And I will say, perhaps controversially, that marriage is the primary relationship. Because your intact family and raising your kids and having a happy home is more important than having a good relationship with your in-laws. And so I think you should do everything in your power to have a good relationship with your in-laws. But if your in-laws are affecting your marriage negatively, you've got to really take stock of that. Because that will lead to a good relationship, right? Like setting boundaries. It isn't like either you have a good relationship or you have to set some boundaries. Those aren't mutually exclusive. Boundaries are a good relationship. And it's when... Boundaries are the top of the mountain, Amy. They're the top of the in-law mountain. And when everybody's clear on those, that's when you actually get along the best because there's no hurt feelings or wondering or worrying or assuming bad motives, etc. And boundaries can hurt people's feelings. Sure. Like a person who wants to come to your house and you're telling them you don't want them to come, it's going to hurt their feelings. But... If you try to be like, I'm going to be open to everything and never set boundaries, you're going to end up at complete war. And so a little hurt feeling is better than never speaking to your in-laws again. Well, let's talk about Lynn, because she wrote in and said that for her, boundaries are an issue. She says, how do you deal with in-laws that don't follow the boundaries you set up? Her in-laws show up without an invitation. They said, we live on the other side of the state and her in-laws 
to show up or they bring gifts. I know they just want to spend time with us, but the lack of respect for our boundaries is kind of driving me bonkers. Okay, I think I know this one, Amy. Okay, go ahead. Watch your boundaries. I don't think don't bring gifts when you come is an appropriate boundary. Uh huh. I did a ask Margaret about this. People are like, how can I stop? You know, the in-laws always bringing toys from the kids every time they come. I'm like, I'm sorry. I do not think that is an appropriate boundary. You can put those toys in a bag and donate them to kids who need them. You don't have to keep them in your house forever, but don't bring my kids toys. I do not agree with that boundary. I don't think it's appropriate. I think you should allow them to experience the joy of bringing your kids things. If those things are like they bring a toy gun, for example, and you don't allow guns in your house, thank you so much for this. When they leave, it goes in the donate pile. It's fine. I don't think that's a hill you should die on. Showing up at my door unannounced is an absolute boundary. Right. Set those. And I'm sorry. If you show up my door unannounced, I will say to you, this is not a good time. I'm sorry. There's a motel down the road. You can sleep there and then we will see you when we invite you. I think that's an appropriate boundary and you stick to it. It's tough. And then you and your spouse have to agree on that boundary ahead of time. I guess this is what I mean. Your spouse can't then step in and say, well, look, it would be fine with me if you stayed here. But yeah, my dumb wife thinks it's a bad idea. You guys have to go to the hotel. And that is going to hurt their feelings. But like that is a boundary that is 100% appropriate. So I'm all for boundaries, but I worry about people being like, my boundaries. It's like, relax a little bit, like work from your point of maximum generosity. And I find this a lot of times with our kids that we're like, no, 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 no. And one of the recurring phrases in my marriage is like, we need to watch our no. And so I think sometimes if you are a person whose in-laws feel overwhelming to you in the way that our kids feel overwhelming to us, you can get into a place where you're like, it is a giant wall of water and I have put up a dam. And if I allow a single crack in that dam, it's going to flow through and kill me. Mm -hmm. And that is a dangerous way of thinking. I think you should always arbitrate for yourself. Is this no necessary? Because I think sometimes you're like, oh my God, these in-laws constantly showing up, constantly being annoying. I have to say no to everything. Don't let yourself back yourself into that corner. A person showing up uninvited to your house is unacceptable. A person coming into your house and saying, oh, I'm going to go through your underwear drawer and make sure that your underwear is all in the right shape. Absolutely unacceptable. You can say like, actually, I don't allow that. And I just think you have to be know which boundaries are really important. This is hill you're going to die on stuff, guys. Right. But every hill is not the same size. It's not every hill. So like pick those hills. It is perfectly fine to be like, I don't want my mother-in-law or father-in-law going through private things in my house. I know somebody whose mother-in-law like would come over and open their mail and be like, why haven't you paid the water bill? I would put a stop to that. (laughs) Day one, like, yeah, no, 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 you don't ever open our mail. Here are the five things that you don't ever do. But once you're very clear and very strong on those boundaries, look for ways to say yes to other things. You know, it also occurs to me, we did that episode a couple of weeks back called What Kind of Monster, where we talked about like the little things, chewing gum or whatever that drive us crazy. And the sort of takeaway I had from that, although it wasn't a takeaway heavy episode, was that sometimes the monster really doesn't know that the ding on their phone or their footsteps when they leave their shoes on or is driving you to like thoughts of murder and you can say it again. This isn't an easy conversation to be had, but maybe if you explained to your in-laws, gee, we just don't have that much space or you know what? Come at it from a more positive point of view. Like I've been told by the pre-K teacher that we really need to be working on more hand-eye stuff at home. So I'd love it if the next time you came, you brought him some things to color with or we're really working on his reading. He's so smart and he's really into Harry Potter or she's you know, loves to construct things. And I love these magnetiles, but they're very expensive. So I'd like you to save up and not bring her 10 things and just bring her some magnetiles for Christmas because I know she'd love them. You can lean into it a little bit and give them a little bit of direction. Make small adjustments. Although I would say if they ignore those things and bring toy guns, you say thank you so much and you put them away and you give them away to someone else. No, that's right. You can try and then you just let it go. This is my rule. And I will end this section with this. In the course of your relationship with your in-laws, you are allowed to have three conversations with them about things you would like to change. 
in the entire course of your relationship. Whoa, okay. So like, you better know what those three things are. You know what I mean? Oh, I see. I thought you were going to say, and the three things are, you, seem, you mean you only get three shots at this, three whacks. Okay. You only get three shots at, I would like to try to fix our relationship, you know, because honestly, people don't change. A lot of your in-laws are in their 60s and 70s. They're not that malleable people, guys. So having constant conversations every time they come over about like, here's what you did wrong. Here's why those toys were not right. Here's why we're doing hand-eye coordination and you're bringing guns is offensive. Like, it's not going to go well. Do you think of yourself like if I walked up to you and I was like, Amy, here's a list of the things you did wrong with me this week. Every time I saw you, like, we're not going to have a good relationship. But in the course of our partnership, have we had to sit down and have a couple of conversations where we're like, hey, this seems to be a constant problem that like I'm always late and you're always on time. Can we try to really work on that one thing? Yeah, we can probably do that about three times in the course of our partnership. But if we try to if I try to fix, I mean, our partnership is fine. I'm not bringing up crazy things. But you like, guys, what's happening I right know, now? apparently the podcast is falling apart right now while I reveal that I hate Amy. Is she breaking up with me? <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, we have a great working partnership, but like, are there going to be three things in the course of it that we might need to be like, hey, let's adjust this because we're driving each other crazy? Yes. Yes. I say three times. A good partnership, right, must involve some of that, right? So more than none and less than a lot. I guess that... Less than four. And I'm going to say that it's okay to ask for what you need positively and not phrase it in terms of, can you please stop doing this? The more you can put it into, you know, I'd really love, I know that Becky would really love if you went to the visiting week at her ballet class. And so maybe you could come in and go to that. That's okay to ask for instead of, can you please stop, you know, sending her baseball gloves? Can't you see that she loves ballet? I mean, the the positively worded request is probably going to get you further. Yes, but I will die on the hill of even the positively requested things. It's three. It's freely asked. And then the answer is the answer. And it's three times like you don't do that every single time you see them. They're going to get it. They're going to hear like, I like it. Here is my constant inner monologue that you do every single thing wrong. And I want you to be completely different people than you are. (laughs) All right, let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk about how to make it all better. So my 12-year-old needed a new pair of reading glasses for school. And Margaret, I don't know if you've seen the selection of kids' glasses at your local optometrist, but they tend to be a little sparse, sad. I was a kindergarten glass wearer, and I was quite <laughs> sad. Because let me tell you, in the 70s, they, they were no selection. It's no better now. There are not so many offerings, and they are definitely not cool. But then we ordered our home try-on kit from Jonas Paul. And it was so fun. We got seven kids eyeglass frames in the mail. They came in all different styles and colors. And my daughter wanted them all. Jonas Paul sells designer looking kids glasses without the designer price in sizes for kids aged four to 16. And they work for petite adults, too, by the way. I'm not in that category. I tried them all on so I can say they can work. Petite (laughs) face. Look at you. And they're launching a non prescription sunglasses line that will work great for all kids. These glasses are super adorable. I would totally wear them. There's nothing kitty about them. Jonas Paul saves you time and it makes the whole process kind of fun. Head to JonasPaulEyewear.com and use the discount What Fresh Hell for 15% off prescription glasses. That discount code does not apply to the new non-prescription sunglasses, by the way. That's Jonas, J-O-N-A-S, Paul, P-A-U-L, JonasPaulEyewear.com and use the code What Fresh Hell, one word, all caps, to get 15% off great prescription glasses for your kid. KiwiCo is back as a sponsor. KiwiCo is defining the future of play by making it engaging and enriching and seriously fun. Guys, my kids are 11, 9, and 7, and we just got a KiwiCo, and they all loved it. They each did their own project, but the hit was the arcade catapult. Not only did they make it without any help, but then they went on to play with it for several hours. Very nice. I cannot recommend it highly enough. KiwiCo creates hands-on projects for kids of all ages to make learning about STEAM fun. STEAM, you guys know what that is. It's science, technology, engineering, art, and math. Each KiwiCo crate is designed by experts and tested by kids to make sure it's super fun. 
Guys, if you're not into steam, you're missing out on what's going on in the world right now. Each box is delivered monthly and comes with instructions your kid can actually follow without you. I can testify to this. Plus, it comes with everything you need, so you're not running around looking for stuff. Exactly. There's no tears because you don't have an eighth-inch slotted screwdriver on hand. I've been there. No tears. (laughs) No tears. No mom doing it. Just super cool hands-on projects. And a new steam concept every month and for age groups from babies to teens. Visit KiwiCo.com slash motherhood to get your first month of KiwiCo free. That's K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash motherhood to get your free trial of KiwiCo. Guys, we love ours. And now, what your mother-in-law is really trying to tell you. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. When she says the kids were angels when you picked them up from her house. She means I fed them a huge bowl of ice cream every time they cried. When that didn't work anymore, I took them to Target and bought them $100 worth of new toys. When she says, I'm so sorry I called you Christine. That was his ex and I just can't get her name out of my head. She means, I liked Christine. Always dreamed it would work out for those two. You? Not as great as Christine. When she says, I totally respect your rules. We will abide by your guidelines at all times. She means, this eight-page document you have handed me about how to care for a baby is bonkers and also vaguely insulting. I will pretend to read it carefully in order to appease you, but then I'll just do exactly what I did with the six children I successfully raised to adulthood. But thanks for the suggestions. When she says... I love that you play with your kids and don't let yourself get bogged down with all the little details. She means your house is an appalling mess and your cooking is a crime. When she says, don't you look nice today? She means I see that you've taken off your sweatpants and at least attempted to do something with your hair. I've been waiting for this day and I'm glad it has finally arrived. When she says your children have such independent spirits. She means, kids would never have been allowed to behave like rabid wolverines in public back in my day. I just hope I can impart enough discipline in the rare times I'm with them to turn the tide. When she says, I cherished every single day with my babies. I enjoyed every second of their amazing childhoods. She means, it's been 30 years since I had a baby in the house, and I have completely blocked out the reality of what that experience actually involved. This has been What Your Mother-in-Law Is Really Trying to Tell You. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. As we come back, I just want to say that, like, I remember when I was married, I would say to my husband after the honeymoon period, like, okay, here's the thing you do that drives me crazy. And then sometimes he'd just be like, have we met? Like, he is a very internal, like, mad professor kind of a guy. Like, and I'm like, it's like you don't even notice that we're out of cereal. And he's like, yeah, that's my personality. Like, sorry, I'm never going to be a person who notices we're running low on cereal. So, like, mm-hmm. this is an in-law extension. Like, stop fighting the battle of, like, I want you to be a completely different person than you are. So let's talk about what works, right? Like how psychologists and other experts say that healthy couples have a healthy in-law relationship. I think that's a good idea. All right. So these are some words of advice from Kathy Siebold, who's a psychoanalyst. She says that families have their own cultures. This culture isn't bad or wrong. It's just different. This reminds me of when you and I both feel like Christmas presents should be opened one at a time with everybody else very quiet and paying attention and clapping appreciatively for what was opened, right? Instead of... Oh, yeah. That's the only way to do Christmas. That's the only way to do it. Yeah. Except... Only way. When you marry into a family where that's not how it's done. It's not your job to show them how it could be better. Healthy couples, she says, allow their in-laws access to their family. They make an effort, even though they may not always agree with the traditions or even look forward to time together. Okay, if your head is exploding because you're like my mother-in-law is an active meth user, this doesn't apply to you. We're getting there. That's right. We have a listener who wrote in and said that she, her problem is that her extended family gets together for dinner every Sunday and that her in-laws who are getting older always cook for all 20 people. Nobody else ever takes a turn and 
she's like, this is too much. Like, I, and she's like, and I go clean up because nobody else is helping to clean up. Nobody cleans up and 20 people are there every weekend. And I just think it's too much and we shouldn't expect them to do it every week. And so I'm, you know, I'm telling my partner, we shouldn't be doing this every week anymore. And she's the only person who can see this. And she's probably not wrong about that, that somebody else should be picking up the slack in the kitchen. But she's not going to fix their longstanding family tradition, even if it's unfair and a little bonkers. Yeah. And I think you really have to watch that story. Like this is another like watch your story, you know, that like her situation is her situation. I'm not even speaking to that. But like it is easy to go into a family and be like, this is crazy what they do and kind of be the fly in the ointment. And like if it doesn't work for you, you can opt out of it. And if people think you're lame for opting out of it, too bad. So sad if it does not work for you. But watch the story where you go in and you say this isn't working for someone else Mm -hmm. because you don't know that. It's really hard to say. Like if the parents enjoy doing it, I don't care if they're 95 and shuffling around like my mother would not allow anyone else to cook Easter dinner. She knew how to do it. And like creamed onions, creamed onions. That was Thanksgiving. But you know what I mean? Like I could see somebody coming in and being like, they're just letting the mom do all the work because they're horrible people. But in fact, they're just letting the mom do the work because the mom does not like to be helped in the kitchen, you know? Yeah. So watch coming in late to a story and being like, I know what's really going on here. Yeah. I think that's a dangerous road. Here's another one. Diane Barth who's a psychotherapist, she says a healthy couple remembers that an in-law's behavior when it's critical or intrusive doesn't necessarily reflect how that person's child feels about those things. Like if your mother-in-law is extremely critical of your messy house and that you should be keeping a cleaner house, that doesn't necessarily mean that your spouse feels that way. Your spouse's feelings could be totally separate. Oh, your spouse doesn't feel that way. Yeah. And I think that I would like to go back to my favorite phrase ever. (laughs) Thank you for that helpful suggestion. Thank you for letting me know how you feel. I just think that, again, if you have a toxic mother-in-law who is in your house 24 hours a day insulting you, insulting your parenting, you should really limit your contact with that person. Yeah. But a mother-in-law who makes helpful suggestions or comments on your children in a way that rubs your fur the wrong way and his nails on a chalkboard to you, you should blank face that and just let it roll off your back. You know, it is really hard for, like we said, like if someone took your five-year-old at the park and was like, I know how to do this. Thanks. I've got it. You'd be like, wait, he needs his banky at night. You know, it is hard for mothers-in-law to let go of their feelings. They have a very strong relationship with your kid and they don't always agree with the way you're doing things. Mothers-in-law don't make helpful suggestions, but daughters-in-law don't take every suggestion as like the first arrow in a six-year war you know right you could just let it bounce off of you and be like oh no harm no foul and you complain to them about your girlfriends later but you don't have to engage in every battle and you know maybe they're right i've gotten really good advice from my mother-in-law about stuff and my mom like every bit of advice offered even if it rankles isn't necessarily wrong right That's a really good point. And like, I can hear that. I really don't like suggestions, really don't like being told what to do. I kind of like, I got it. Everyone shush. And so not necessarily from my in-laws. There's very few people who I can hear suggestions from my own mom. You know, I just not a big fan of helpful tips, (laughs) but I have tried to back off seeing every tip as the first arrow in the war and just kind of gotten a little bit more like, oh, gosh, oh, great. Thanks. Yeah. And then a bridge beyond that is trying to find the generous self that can be like, mother-in-law, how would you do this? Yes. Which I know a lot of people who find their mothers-in-law annoying It's like I would rather dip my face in a vat of boiling oil than ask my mother-in-law for a suggestion. But a little opening of a door goes a long way. Well, we, you know, there's often a way in your life. There's often a thing in your life that your in-laws are better at than you are. None of us are perfect, right? So I'm trying to think of an example. Like my mother-in-law is, her home is beautiful. It's very beautifully decorated. She knows how to do a beautiful 
tablescape, you know, for Thanksgiving, Christmas, that kind of thing. She knows how to arrange flowers. Mm, my mother-in-law as well. Everything just so. That's something that's very important to her. And so leaning into that and asking her for advice, well, what do you think about this or how this would look? Do you think this should go here or there? Is first of all, good advice, but it's an easy place for me to be generous, right? To seek input from something that she's better at than me and ask for her advice where it's very useful. Yeah. And I get that that's the damn thing that you're like, if I allow this crack. Right. I can't ever ask one question. Right. If I allow this in, it's going to start this flood of like, and here's how you should raise your children. And here's how you should decorate your house better. But like, it's not necessarily don't go all the way down the road. Just like ask for help when you think it could be helpful. I think it's good to just sort of, you know, to sort of open the conversation because when you have a relationship that's like too distant and too much of a detente, which sometimes has to happen, I understand. When you do have to have a difficult conversation, if you don't ever call them up to talk about nothing, it's going to be hard when you have to call them up and say like, so listen, you need to stop showing up at our house uninvited, right? Yeah, this is true. Like, watch your ratios. Is Are nine out of 10 conversations with your in-laws about how they're not right yeah. and how they're doing things wrong? Right. That's on you, guys. That should be like one out of 10. That should be three times overall, as you know, I think. But there's a just because a conversation is difficult. This is something else I got from that Naked Marriage podcast. Just because something is going to be a difficult conversation doesn't mean it shouldn't happen. It's, in fact, probably a clearer sign that it needs to happen. Like the more you're dreading the difficult conversation, the more important that conversation is. Yeah. And it stops bad situations. If you can have a conversation that's like, we love you. We love to see you. We do not want unannounced visitors at our house. And like, I get that you used to do that. Your mom used to stop by all the time unannounced. That does not work for us because you should probably have that conversation before they show up at your house and you're like, go home. We're not letting you in. Yeah. Because that's a war and the other one's a conversation. Yeah, I agree. I want to read something from Molly, who has a sort of important perspective on the whole in-laws thing. She says, my husband's father passed away when my husband was 19. His mother passed away when he was 23. And she actually knew them because they did it in high school. So she knew them growing up, but she never had them as in-laws and her husband's an only child. So she says, I would challenge those of you who have negative experiences with your spouse's family to stop and try to name one good thing about them. I would love to have had a mother-in-law, especially knowing how much my husband misses her. I guess that's good advice, that there's one thing that you can look to, because this is a relationship that exists. And as we were saying in the beginning, as you said so well, like even the absence of that relationship is a big thing in your life, right? The like, we don't speak to them, we don't ever like, that's still a fraught thing. Yeah. So um, trying to find some area of generosity toward them when you can do that is good, but it's not always possible. Right. Is a good thing. No, it's hard. But I want to quote from Lillian from the Facebook group who said she was talking about people who were talking about like how living with their in-laws is very, very difficult. And she said that she had had her husband was deployed and she had to live with her parents and her in-laws at different times and that it was hard and that she realized it is hard to be a wife, mother daughter and daughter-in-law all together for an extended period of time. And I think it's really good to acknowledge, as we did in the first section, this is a difficult relationship. You're a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law are kind of natural enemies in the wild. It's like there's one role, mother to this child, spouse to this child. There's only one spot, kind of, you know, and it could feel so competitive. And a lot of people talked about like, hey, I had a great relationship with my mother-in-law and then I had kids and now we kind of hate each other. And I think it's because it's like you're jockeying for position, kind of like who's in charge of these kids, especially like if your mother-in-law is like their caretaker while you're at work and like who's got the top spot. And I think acknowledging the difficulty of existing in different roles simultaneously important and also realizing that fundamentally there is no competition. You are the mother of children and you are the top of the pyramid always. So if someone's jockeying for your spot, like lots of luck, it's not going to happen. But giving your children the gift of someone else who loves them like crazy. If that's possible. <laughs> open your. I'm talking about like maybe over involved mother-in-laws. People whose mom, we haven't even talked really about in-laws who are not involved and how frustrating that is. But like and a person who wants to be involved in a loving way with your kid who feeds them too much sugar. I wouldn't throw that away because it means your kids eat ice cream twice a day. I do want to, before we end, 
you know, give acknowledgement to the people for whom this is just not possible, right? We had a listener who wanted to be anonymous, so she contacted us by email, and she says she's in a situation right now. Her father-in-law is an active alcoholic abuser, cannot have a relationship with this person. Her mother-in-law is a hoarder, and she's agoraphobic and has a couple dozen cats at her house that her spouse is dealing with on the regular, his, you know, very not well mother. And so that's her in-law reality. And she says, some people on Facebook are saying those who complain about their in-laws shouldn't because some people don't have in-laws. But the truth is, we all have unique experiences and family doesn't necessarily equal love or security or help. So I don't want to end without saying, like, we get it. And we're not saying there's something wrong with you if you're in that situation and your family does not equal love or security or help. But if it does, then lean into it. Absolutely. And when I say work from your maximum point of generosity, that's because your maximum point of generosity may be zero. I know tons of people who should not have a relationship with their in-laws because they are toxic, because they are dangerous, because they are emotional vampires, because they bring too much trouble. And like, I salute you. It's totally fine. And also just to say like, We're talking a little bit more about like my in-laws aggravate me because we're really different people. And like, can we find the generosity to be like, we're going to try to all love on these kids and just get along as well as we can. Fine. We're dealing with an in-law who is dangerous, addicted, or just generally not a good person. I have no qualms with saying like, I don't care. You're not going to miss them. It's fine. (laughs) Walk away. Yeah. If we're lucky enough to have in-laws with whom the relationship isn't like completely toxic, I guess the takeaway is lean into the good where you can find it, have the positive conversations where you can and have the difficult conversations, even when they're difficult, especially because they're difficult. And just to put a button on that, your maximum point of generosity should not damage yourself. Uh huh. And should not damage your family. Well said. And do it three times. <laughs> not, and three conversations. That's it. Like four, maybe. You can sit down with your in laws and say, we need to work this out exactly three times. That's my philosophy. <laughs> this is one of the three times I'm going to be sitting you down. So listen up. Yes, this is it. We can't do this once a week. It's obnoxious and wrong. I, uh, we solved it. We solved it, guys. I feel like we could do 18. And we could just have a podcast called How to Deal with Your In-Laws because it is an ongoing problem and we're not making light of anything that is really difficult because we get it. But with that in mind, I'm going to say we solved it. Yep. (laughs) You can come to our Facebook group and check out all the conversations that are going on there, which are excellent on this topic. And Amy, where's your research? Oh, my research is going to be on the show page of this episode. It's right where you're listening. You can swipe or tap. And I'll also put it on whatfreshhellpodcast.com. So you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at whatfreshhellcast and on Twitter at WFHpodcast. And before we go, and a shout out to our own awesome in-laws. We love you guys. Oh, yeah. Thank you for being you. Thumbs up. Thumbs up.